0: All right, it's great to see everybody here this morning. I'm excited about this passage of Scripture that we've got in front of us as we continue our expositional series to the Gospel of John. And again, I want to point our attention once again to the purpose of John's book. So you've got your your finger in John 4. Uh, Flip forward with me to John chapter number 20. And uh, I'm at least going to make it a pattern uh, when I'm preaching just to read this every single time, just to remind us of the purpose of John's book and how our specific section of Scripture that we're going to tackle this morning, how it fits into that, that paradigm, that grid, and that purpose that John intended uh, for this book to accomplish. And so John chapter 20, verse number 31 says this, but these are written so that you may, what? Believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is the purpose of John's gospel, and we're excited to see that purpose unfold uh, in the section that we'll be tackling this morning, John chapter number 4, verses 43 through 54. Let's just open up a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to quiet our hearts, our minds, that we bless the, the preaching, the teaching, the reading of His Word, and as a result, that we can respond to it uh, appropriately. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your Word. We thank you that you have given us Christ, the Son of God, and that within His person and in His work, there is life uh, for our, our dead hearts. There is life that is breathed into our souls as a result of seeing and believing and responding correctly to who Christ is. And so we thank you this morning for life, that uh, in Christ he defeated sin, death, and hell, that there is an empty tomb, and that represents once again life, victory over death. And what that affords to me and to This whole world, as a result of that life, is world-changing for all eternity. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would, even as a Christian, that we would recognize and respond to Christ accurately this morning. Even uh, as a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, there are things that can grab our heart, our attention, our, our, our soft Hearts that were once fertile ground for the seed of the word uh, to take root and grow can, can become hard over time because of sin and circumstances and situations. And so, Father, I pray that if there's a, even a believer here this morning who may be struggling with faith, struggling with belief, struggling with trust and confidence in you, that you again would, would use your word as the hammer to break up the hardness of our heart. And that we would once again believe afresh and anew that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we can experience that life that was even spoken of a few minutes ago once again. Father, maybe there's somebody here even this morning, maybe a child, a young person, even an adult, uh, young and old, that has never seen Christ for who he really is. And Father, I pray that even this morning, that today potentially would be The day of salvation where the lost can be found, where the blind see, where the dead now live. Uh, What a glorious, what a glorious miracle that would be right in front of our midst to see soul saved. So Father, I pray that you would do that work that we can't do, that I can't do, but only your spirit breathing life into a dead soul can do. So, Father, I pray that you would use your word in a powerful way to change us to be more like you, more like your son, Jesus Christ. I ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. I've entitled this, this message out of John, chapter number four, A Miracle in Cana, take two. If you'll remember, in chapter number two, just a couple chapters ago, uh, Dave Welch uh, preached the wedding at Cana where we saw Christ uh, enter into the uh, introducing the signs and miracles for the first time, where he turned, what, the water into wine. And uh, we remember the purpose of that miracle was primarily for the benefit of the disciples as they had given everything, uh, their life, their careers, their family, their security of all that they were familiar with. They left that all behind to what? To follow Christ. And although John the Baptist recognized him correctly and all the disciples as they were gathered together recognized Jesus as what? The Messiah. There was still some some faith building that needed to occur even in the disciples. And so we had this wedding at Cana, really this private setting between uh, Christ's mother Mary and the disciples and some other servants that that had witnessed this and and Christ did the did the incredible of turning water into wine and, and it bolstered the disciples faith well here we have uh, this the second miracle in Cana that occurs and um, we see Christ yet doing another sign and miracle uh, for the benefit of those that were in, in presence there um, But I don't know about you, but I can remember vividly when I was just a young child, I was at a small country church, Community Bible Church in Odessa, Missouri, on a gravel road in the middle of nowhere, Uh, just a real simple country church, and uh, I was just a little guy, and I remember... after the church, there was always a fellowship time and a gathering and everybody would be mixing and mingling similar to what we do. I can remember just as a young child kind of playing around with my friends and then realizing that, oh, but I, can't, I don't see mom and dad and I need to find them, right? Just as a little guy, you want to kind of keep mom and dad just at arm's length, right, just to make sure that you don't lose them and you don't get scared or anything like that. I can remember as a little guy running around with my kids and thinking that I spotted my mom. Right? I you probably know where I'm going with this. I'm sure you can remember maybe a memory that would be similar. Running up to this woman, again, that I thought was my mom, tugging on her skirt and looking for a hand to hold, and then this woman that I thought was my mom turns around and it's not who? It's not my it's not my mom. You remember that? Have you ever been there as a kid? Can you remember those, right? And the devastation that runs into a kid's mind is they're gazing up into this person that they thought was their mom, but in reality, they had gotten the identity of this person wrong. Right? have you ever been there? Raise a hand, no? In a similar sense, the disciples were in the process of continuing to get not only the identity of Christ correctly, recognizing him correctly, but also responding to him correctly. And in this passage, we have a whole crowd of Galileans who think they know who Jesus is. They're running to him as a, what, a miracle worker. And as this group of thrill seekers were following on the coattails of Christ, looking for another miracle that they could potentially benefit from or gain have personal gain for themselves, they got the identity of Christ wrong, right? They welcomed Christ on this grand scene of him leaving uh, Samaria and coming back into Uh, Judea and Cana and getting back into Galilee and they welcome him, right? And there were some cultural things that would play into that. There would be a grand welcoming of a religious leader that day. There would more than likely be music and some grandstand welcoming of Christ coming back into Cana. And so they welcomed him as a miracle worker, but they failed once again to recognize him as Savior and Lord. And so here we are. In John chapter number four, in this passage of Scripture, no doubt, as many other passages of Scripture in the Gospel of John, it's primarily going to be about the topic of believing. In fact, as you look at the Gospel of John over 100 times in one shape or form, in the noun or verb form, do we see this idea of belief or believing present in the gospel of John. And so primarily the gospel of John is a believing book. It's about belief, trust, confidence in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And we see that in John chapter 20, verse 31, the purpose statement of the book that he wrote it. Why? So that we could recognize Jesus correctly as Savior and Lord. And as a result, what? Believe. And as a result, have what? Life. So these things are all building upon each other. Here we are in John chapter number four. Let's read our passage or make a few points and comments this morning. And as a result, I pray that the Lord would strengthen and bolster our belief in Jesus Christ. Let's read our passage. Start reading John chapter four, verse 43. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself has testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come to Judea, to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he had begun to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This section of scripture, these verses that we read this morning, uh, serve as a bookend to close out this section of scripture that began all the way back again in chapter 2, verse number 1. And the first sign that occurred in Cana, again, we remind ourselves, it was for the benefit of bolstering and growing the faith of the disciples. And although the Galileans receive and welcome Jesus as a miracle worker, they fail to truly recognize Him as Savior and Lord. And this next sign that is to come, we see the focused attention of Jesus towards meeting not only the physical needs of this Galilean household, but more importantly, Jesus meets the spiritual needs of their heart. And we see this demonstrated in their faith at the end of our section of Scripture in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to see really two elements in this passage. We're going to see the need to recognize Jesus correctly as who he said he was, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. But also, we can't fall short in just recognizing, but we have to move along by the Holy Spirit Uh, to responding to Christ correctly. Friends, this is the timeless paradigm of humanity. You see, through all of Scripture, many, many people, millions of people have recognized something unique about Jesus Christ. They've recognized that there's something special about what He did. In fact, you look at all the Gospels, whether it's the Gospel of John or the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, even the skeptics, The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the crowds, everybody that came in contact with Jesus Christ never once questioned the fact that he was a miracle worker. That was never brought into question. Not once. There was something unique and special about Jesus Christ. I mean, there was no one ever that had come on the scene that had power over nature to calm storms. There was never a prophet of old that had come onto the scene that had power to heal sickness and to cause the blind to see and to heal leprosy and to cause the dead to rise. There was, there was uniqueness about Christ that was unparalleled. But friends, many of those people, millions of people through all of humanity have recognized something unique about Jesus but have failed to respond to Jesus accurately and appropriately and rightly in simple childlike faith. And so that's primarily what this passage is all about. This passage is, illustrates this new dimension of believing, namely a believing without the immediacy of seeing. Right, for the first time in the Gospel of John, we see an individual and also as a result a household that believes not only in Jesus Christ as a miracle worker, but believes in Him as their Messiah, Jesus, the Savior of the world. And they do this without seeing Jesus perform this miracle. So this is what John is layering in, this new dimension about faith and believing, that, look, faith is about believing in Christ, recognizing Him as Savior and Lord without the benefit of seeing. And so we want to draw our attention to those realities even yet this morning. And so when we look at this passage, there are some technical aspects that are unique about it that I want to point out as a way of introduction. We see in the last verse of our passage, verse 54, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the only sign or miracle that has a number attached to it. There's something unique about John pointing out the fact that this is the second miracle in Cana. And, And many theologians, as a result of that, believe that these two Cana instances, these Cana miracles, need to be connected in some way. Right. And we need to draw our attention to the fact, what was the purpose of this, this miracle in Cana? Was it not on believing for the benefit of the disciples? But also, the second miracle, was it not about believing as well? And everything in between it was about what? Believing Jesus is who he said he was. And as a result, responding to him rightly. And we see a number of different people groups even culturally, that are brought into and welcomed not only to recognize Jesus correctly, but to offer their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. These culturally unacceptable Samaritans, we see a great move of the Spirit in them being able to recognize Jesus and to respond to him in faith. In fact, we see that in verses, uh, to go backwards, if we will, verses 39 through 40, uh, really 42. We see many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to, to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his what word? They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And so from chapter 2 through all the way through chapter 4 and everything in between has been about establishing the priority of believing Christ and the necessity of faith and not only recognizing but responding in faith to Jesus as Savior and Lord. So this is the big idea this morning of this passage. Because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, we can place our complete faith and trust in his person and work even without the benefit of of seeing. Because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. We can't place our complete faith and trust in his person and work even without the benefit of seeing. So friends, as we go through this passage, As we look at these uh, contrasting uh, responses to Jesus in this passage, we're going to be able to come to the conclusion and ask ourselves the question, who do we believe Jesus to be? And as a result, what will our response individually be to the person and work of Jesus as established in the pages of John's gospel? This is what we have in front of us here this morning with this passage. So let's look at our first point of two. First point is this. We're going to look at the deception of a false faith. First point we're going to look at this morning is the deception of a false faith. And I just alluded to the faith that the Lord allowed to establish Uh, in the Samaritan group, right, through the testimony of the woman at the well. The Samaritans, what did they do? They demonstrated true faith in Jesus because of His, what, word that they had heard for themselves. As you see, there was a priority that resulted in faith on believing the words of Jesus Christ. Not just A miracle, a sign, a wonder to establish confidence in Jesus Christ. But Jesus always connected these signs and wonders with the truth of who He was. The Messiah. The Chosen One. The One prophesied of old. He is the Christ. And as a result, they believed in His words. And so the deception of this false faith that we see with this Galilean crowd is this, that although they welcome Him, they are literally deceiving themselves into thinking that they're receiving Him. I mean, they're going through all the, the, the cultural elements of welcoming a religious leader and they receive Him with glad hearts because they desire not to know Him as Savior of the world, but to see yet another thrilling miracle unfold before them that somehow they may be able to leverage for their own personal gain or for their own benefit. You see, Galilee would be a familiar place for Jesus because it's where He was from. There would be familiarity with who Jesus was, His family, His his background, and He was there once, and He was there for the Passover feast, and He had cleansed the temple, and He had established Himself as what? An authority, and He had the right to cleanse and to restore that which was Broken. And so Jesus has made his presence known. And he has made his claim on authority known as a result of the interactions that he's had in the temple and with other people and how he's continued to teach and to perform these incredible miracles. And so the deception of the Galilean crowd is that they believe they're welcoming him. But for what purpose? Just to see yet another miracle. And as a result of welcoming him only as a miracle worker in that same process, they're actually dishonoring him because they are failing to recognize him for his true identity. They're failing to see the real purpose that Jesus came to this earth was what? Just seeking to save that which was broken, to give his life a ransom for many. Right? They failed to see that. So Jesus' earthly ministry has continued to escalate and to grow and to get uh, more popularity attached with it. And so this Galilean crowd is deceived by this false faith as a result of welcoming Him. Friends, is this not a problem in our own day, in our own time? Do we not have a problem with simply just welcoming Jesus into our lives so that maybe we can feel better about ourselves or we think it might have some positive impact on our families, on our finances, on our job security? We view Jesus Christ more as a genie in the bottle or some good pill to take that might benefit us, but as a result, we literally never fail to recognize what Jesus has called us to, and that's simply relationship to deny ourselves to take up our cross and follow him as savior and lord and so the same problem that the galilean crowd had way back then is the same crowd or same problem that we have in our crowd today it's a timeless problem of a deceptive faith that creeps into our life as a result of not recognizing and responding to Jesus correctly so here we have a contrast In our previous passage that Jeff Campa preached last week, we saw this incredible dialogue with the Samaritan woman at the well that uh, certainly had no business to to be there at that time, and Christ really had no business interacting and, and engaging her in conversation. But yet he used those circumstances and the setting and the well and the water and her life and her background and her story to weave in the gospel truth that I am Jesus. And I'm here to save and I offer a water that will cause you to thirst no more. And the beauty of that interaction as it unfolded, she became changed as a result of not just recognizing Jesus correctly, but responding to him in faith. And as a result, what did she do in that town, in that area? She was letting everybody know what the Lord did on her behalf. This woman at the well changed forever. And as a result, impacting her city and her town with the truth that Jesus saves. So, in contrast to this Samaritan's faith in Jesus, we see in our passage, Jesus is going to transition to actually chastising. And he gives, he communicates this strong indictment on the Galileans as simply thrill seekers, right? Let's look at our passage. Once again here in John chapter number four, let's pick up in verse 46. So he came again to Cana and Galilee where he had made the water and wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so uh, we have an individual that comes to Christ in the midst of this crowd and presents to Jesus a need for healing. His son, who was at his home, we don't know how close or far away that was from from where this crowd had gathered. Uh, But instead of Jesus actually responding directly to this man he actually cast a wider net to this crowd and uh, the phrase that he uses there, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe that you in, in that section right there is actually plural. So instead of addressing this man individually, he addresses this group as a whole And he's also chastising this this thrill-seeking crowd as a whole, using this situation almost in his example and saying, look, somebody's coming to me for a miracle. And so now he addresses this man through the crowd and says, look, are you guys just here? Are you just going to believe me as a miracle worker, but not believe me as Savior and Lord? So Christ is challenging the validity of their faith. He challenges literally their unbelief. And this is the deception of a false faith because this crowd is gathering and they're welcoming him and receiving him. And here this individual comes with this urgent need for the son is at the point of death. And Christ uses this opportunity to challenge the crowd at the core of their heart. At the core of their heart, are they believing? Or are they just following for another sign and miracle? So the question now goes from a, Um, a crowd perspective, a plural perspective, and Christ transitions now down to the individual level. So what about this official? Was he in this crowd that believed but did not believe? Was this official a part of this crowd that believed in Jesus as a sign seeker, But he did not come to Christ as a savior seeker? Were they just simply a this official? Was he just a lover of Jesus' power? He recognized that there was something unique again about Jesus, like many others had. He was a lover of Jesus' power, but not a lover of his person. This is Christ, this is Jesus, this is this official. Where does he fit on those spectrums? Was he in the Galilean crowd? Was he in the Samaritan woman? Where she was believing in Jesus as savior and Lord. We have to sift this out, and it's almost as if Jesus is testing this man's faith, right? Do you see that? It's almost as if he's almost putting it to test and and trying to determine what crowd this man is. Obviously, Jesus knows, right? We know that. Even in our passage in John chapter 2, he went to the crowd, and he did not entrust himself to some. Why? Because he knew their their hearts. So Jesus knows where this man is coming from, right? Right? But, but, but there's an exercise that needs to happen in this man's heart where he needs to understand not only that Jesus is Christ, recognize him correctly, his, get his identity right, but he also needs to use this opportunity to bolster this man's faith. And so here we are, point number two. We saw, first of all, the deception of a false faith, but secondly, we're going to look at the sincerity of a true faith, the sincerity of a true faith. Let's look at verse 49 and 50 as we see the faith of this man really unfold, even as this passage uh, finishes out. Verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down. Excuse me, uh, verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Right? Are we starting to see a pattern here in the Gospel of John develop? The belief in Jesus Christ by this Galilean official was based on what? The word that Jesus had spoken to him. The faith that the Samaritan woman was able to exercise in the personal work of Jesus Christ was it not based on the dialogue and the words that had been spoken to her. And as a result, everybody else in Samaria that came to know Christ as Savior and Lord, was it not because they had heard for themselves the words that Jesus had spoken and they what? Believed. And so do you see the priority, the preeminence, and the power of the Word of God as a foundation for what? Faith in Him. Are you not thankful that we have the Word of God? As I think about the priority of faith and not only believing and knowing and trusting, but without the Word of God, uh, how would we know? I'm so thankful that we have the inerrant, inspired Word of God that we can place our complete trust in and know the words of Jesus. And as a result of knowing the words of Jesus, we can believe in Him as Savior and Lord. So we're going to look at here the the sincerity of the the official's faith. And, And you've heard me use these two words Uh, often here this morning, but we're going to look at the official recognizes Jesus correctly. And then secondly, uh, the second aspect of this true faith, we're going to see that he responds to Jesus correctly. So first of all, Jesus, or excuse me, the official recognizes Jesus correctly. Despite Jesus' strong indictment to the crowd, the official is literally persistent that he has come to the right place and that Jesus alone has the ability and power to heal. I mean, just think about this. I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of this Galilean official. Okay, back home, his son has, it sounds like some type of fever, some type of sickness, and he was deteriorating so much in his physical health that he was at the point of what? Death. And so there's a level of desperation that has come on this Galilean official and the home. And somehow this Galilean official has heard that Jesus is back in the area. He's back in Cana. He's back in Galilee. As a last-ditch effort, this Galilean official does what? He leaves the bedside of his son that's dying at the point of death, and he goes and tries to find Jesus. And he finds him. Can you imagine the hope that that, that this man has, this Galilean official, this prominent official in the area? He's got hope because he's found this miracle worker. And he comes to Jesus at a point of desperation. He says, come with me to my house and, and my, my son is point, at the point of death. Come with me, please. And I don't know about you, but Jesus' response, if I'm in that situation, I'm not real thrilled about Jesus' response. Or can you imagine the desperation? I, I tried to build that up. Put yourself in his shoes as a parent, somebody you know, anybody, a friend, a family. You've got somebody that's at the point of death, and you know the only hope that you have is that this Jesus this one who has had this growing reputation in the area. The only hope that you have is that he comes to your house and he heals your son. That's all you've got. He's at the point of death. And how does Jesus respond? Uh, he's, he's speaking out to this crowd that is gathering. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Are you seeing this, the faith that even of this Galilean official start to bloom and blossom into something that's real and sincere? And the Galilean official doesn't even respond to Jesus' indictment. It's almost like this rhetorical thing where he says, that's not why I'm here. Because he just repeats his request one more time. What does he say? Look at verse 49. He says, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. He knows he's come to the right place. Jesus is this miracle worker. There's something unique about him. And he, he doesn't even skip a beat when Jesus chastises this whole crowd. He says, I know you are Jesus. I know you have the power to heal and to save. And so I ask again, sir, come with me and heal my son. So he recognizes him correctly. And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge the sincerity of the faith. He doesn't even say anything about it. He simply answers with a gift. And it's a unique gift. And he, he operates and interacts with this man in a way that we have yet to see in the Gospel of John because what is Jesus' response to the sincere faith that this man has, this persistent faith? He says this in verse uh, <clears throat> 50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The official responds in what way? Go, your son will live. The man, the official, the Galilean official believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Friends, at the end of the day, this is the timeless question of all eternity and life and humanity is this. Will we simply take Jesus at his word and believe without seeing? Jesus has established himself as the Messiah He has proven and validated that by establishing authority over the temple. He has performed signs and miracles and wonders. John the Baptist, the prophet, has affirmed him as the Messiah, that he has fulfilled prophecy. Jesus Christ has established that he alone is the the word, that he has life and light within his person and work of his earthly ministry. And here we are, with all that context in place, a man with a sick son at the point of death. Jesus does not operate in the box that this man wants him to, but he believes Jesus at his word. He simply obeys and believes. And as a result, there's a gift of life that is given both for his son, but also for this Galilean official's soul. There's new life that's established in this man's heart. See, initially, we look at this passage and just Jesus doesn't seem to be on the same page with the official. Jesus doesn't seem to get the sense of urgency that this situation would have deserved. However, this official, knowing that he's come to the right place, this official doesn't argue He doesn't try to convince Jesus of this better way that he had suggested, like you leaving here and coming to my house, laying hands on my son, praying a prayer and seeing his his life restored. This man doesn't try to change Jesus' mind or come up with a better way. He simply believes nothing more, nothing less, the simplicity, and I'll introduce, the persistence of the official's faith is sincere. And so how refreshing that is to see in the midst of these first four chapters, in the midst of these thrill-seeking crowds that sought to simply relate to Jesus for their own, own personal gain, this Galilean official came as a beggar, having no wisdom, having nothing to offer, having no background, having no assumptions that were already made and predetermined, no predetermined doubt that he was going to try to question Jesus' sin. He simply came offering nothing and, and got everything to gain in return. He came as a beggar in need of help. As a result, Jesus offers him this incredible gift that is double-faceted. Both for his son, he now lives, but also for his own personal faith, he now lives in a way that he never has before. This unique, sight unseen type of faith, as we see it unfold in John chapter number four, it's, it's the first of its kind in the Gospel of John. But we can relate to this sight unseen type of faith because it's now, no doubt, has become the standard for future believers and also in the days ahead for all humanity. Do we not have to believe without seeing that this, as a result, is the essence of faith? I mean... Hebrews 11.1 one says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So the question is this, will I accept Jesus at his word? Will I put my complete trust and faith in Jesus Christ without the benefit of seeing, not knowing how it's all going to work out, not knowing if my spouse is going to hate me or going to follow me, not sure if what this has implications on my job or or my community involvement, or whatever it might be. There's all kinds of questions that no doubt could be swirling through our head when we follow Jesus, but at the end of the day, we have the same opportunity in front of us. Well, I accept Jesus at his word that he is who he said he is, the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And as a result, where I respond to him appropriately in simple, sincere faith as we see unfolding in this Galilean official. As we wrap this passage up, we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the result of the product of this type of faith? Right? What is the result of a sincere faith in the personal work of Jesus? Well, just as we saw with the woman at the well, when one person recognizes and responds to Jesus rightly, others are sure to follow. Don't we see that? Verse 51, and as he was going, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them what uh, the hour that it began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Friends, this morning, we have an opportunity to see Christ in a fresh and new way. We have an opportunity in the next few minutes as we break out into our breakout discussion groups to look further into the implications of this passage and application on our own personal life, not tomorrow or next week or next year, but today. What does it look like to respond to the personal work of Jesus as we see in John 4 this morning? So let's close in a word of prayer. We'll break out into our discussion groups and ask the Lord to do a work as we see recognize and respond to Jesus correctly this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Savior of this world. And because you are the Christ, the Son of God, we can put our complete faith and trust in your person and work, even without the benefit of seeing. So, Father, as a Galilean official exercised sincere faith in you, let that be a reality in our life today. Let us not be in that Galilean crowd that simply wants to be a part of Jesus for what we can gain from it. But Let us come to you in simple childlike faith thank you for the work that you're going to do even this morning we ask all these things in your precious name we pray amen